0: Thanks Jay for reading scripture and praying us in this morning and thank you worship team for leading us and proclaiming these truths and the good news of Jesus over our lives. I'm I'm thankful for Pastor Chris last week introducing us to this conversation that Jesus is having with the Jews here in John chapter 8. If you weren't here last week you missed out on rich teaching when it comes to false belief and true belief. And I know that this morning in this room, across this room, there are people in different places in their spiritual journey. I know that there are people who are walking in this morning and They're just curious about the things of Jesus and checking out Jesus. There are some who have just recently put your faith in Jesus. There are some who've journeyed with Jesus for years. And as he said last week, our hope this morning is not to cause doubt when it comes to your faith, but our hope this morning is to give you a place of assurance. And I pray that that's going to continue this morning. I want to ask you a question as we begin. And I want you to think about this. Do you feel free? Do you feel free? Is there a sense of of flourishing, of experiencing the freedom that Jesus comes to offer? In John chapter 8, the conversation that Chris led into last week. Jesus comes and says in this passage, if you abide in my word, verse 31, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In verse 34, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then Jesus offers this message, this proclamation, this good news of freedom. And he says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the question, and I think when, when we wrestle with this is, do we feel free, that's what's offered to us. That's what Jesus comes and he's proclaiming these to, to this to these Jews who claim to have believed, which is why Chris wrestled with the idea of false belief and true belief last week, is because they, they've been claiming to believe. They've been claiming to have placed their faith in Jesus, but yet they're not experiencing freedom. And I'm I'm worried and I'm concerned that we as the church, Church of the Valley, that maybe we're not experiencing freedom and what Jesus is coming to offer us in this passage is actually something that we need to grasp hold of, that we need to take hold of, and and maybe today, maybe we need to enter into freedom. I sent a message this morning out to the Church of the Valley family members and I said this, I said, don't miss this morning. We are coming expectant that Jesus is going to set some of us free today. Believe it. Now, I think there's a couple different responses that people had if they read it, how they would respond. And I think one of the responses may be, stop with all the hype, right? Like trying to work something up, trying to manufacture something this morning, And I'm like, I'm not trying to manufacture something. I'm just trying to live faithful to the word of God. Jesus says he's come to set people free. Are you experiencing freedom? So there's some of us who doubt it. There's some of us who think, is that truly going to happen? Do you think we can truly step into freedom today? There are some who believe it, but you believe it for others. You go, you know what? That's going to be really great for so-and-so this morning. They really need to be set free. I'm excited for them, my neighbor, whoever it is. I know what they're walking through, I know the weight they're experiencing. And I'm just thankful this morning that they're going to get to experience freedom. I believe that for others. There's some who are here this morning and you're saying, Please be me. I, I need to be set free. I desire, I long to be set free. Jesus, you said, if we'll abide in you, if we'll trust, if we'll hear your words, if if the Son has set us free, then we are truly free indeed. And I want to experience that. I want that to be true. And you long for that. And that's your prayer. And you're coming this morning, expectant. And I'm hopeful. And there's some, maybe you're in the position that the Jews were in. And you don't think you need it. You think you're good. Jesus' words hit pretty heavy in this passage. If you're like, man, this is kind of intense right out of the gates. That's what happens when I get a week off, right? (laughs) Jesus is pretty intense in this passage. If, If we look at The controversy, like this is one of the most controversial passages of Jesus. It's this passage that gets Jesus crucified. Jesus comes, he offers freedom, and they say, We're good. I'm wondering if some of us this morning might say, I'm good. Do you feel free? Or do you experience freedom? Or do you feel enslaved? Enslaved by your sin, enslaved by the opinions of others, enslaved by our fears, enslaved by our jobs, enslaved to our thoughts. He wants to set you free. And I don't necessarily know that our church would be characterized. I prayed this morning when we met at 915 that we would have to change our core values, that freedom would be one of them, that we experience so much freedom in our church, freedom in worship, freedom in how we, we walk about our life, that, that it would just be like, I don't know, that church, when we write, like, what is that church known for? There, it's a place of freedom. Not freedom to sin, but a freedom to not sin, a freedom to walk in the fact that our three greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death have been defeated, which means there's nothing that stands against us, that we would experience that. So my hope this morning is to kind of continue on from where Chris left off last week. And I want to point out three things from this passage that I believe keep us from experiencing freedom. And I think we're all going to find ourselves that these are characteristics of us. The first one is this. The first thing that I think is pointed out in this passage, what keeps us from experiencing freedom, is you don't have room in your heart. You don't have room in your heart. John chapter. verse 36, Jesus offers this freedom. If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He goes on in verse 37, and he tells them the very reason why they can't experience freedom. He said, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Because my word finds no place in you. My word finds no place in you. This Word finds no place in you literally means your heart is occupied. Your life is occupied by another. There's no room. There's no room for my word. There's no space. Your life is full. Your life is complete. There's other things that your heart is grabbing hold of. There is no room in your life. It is being occupied by something else. And this is what Jesus tells them. My word finds no place in you. There's no inch of your life that I'm able to enter in. Let me ask you this morning, what occupies your life? Is there room in your heart? Now, I'm someone who, uh, I've been known to make things fit, okay? I got 65 bags of mulch in a Subaru Outback one time, okay? (laughs) Okay? Now, so you're, you're thinking about this, and, and you're, you're like, 65 bags of mulch, and I went, I walked into Home Depot, I paid for it, and they're like, you're picking that up right now? And I was like, yeah, and they're like, cool, what, you're going to back your truck up? And I was like, no, I got a Subaru Outback. Sir, where are you going to put, see, I, we, will, we will get 65 bags of mulch in this Subaru Outback, Right. And this carries over into different aspects of my life when it comes to, like, I I can just keep adding on things, keep adding on to the calendar, keep adding on to the agenda, keep adding on new, uh, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors. Like, let's just, I, I can just, I can take it on. I got space. And there's an aspect that our spiritual life begins to kind of take on That mindset as well. That there's just no room for Jesus. There's no space that he can occupy because all the space is occupied with something else. Now, if you think of the opposite of this, your mind might go to this monastic lifestyle of isolation, very restrictive discipline. And I'm not saying that is bad, I'm not saying it may even be needed. But I think it's easy for us to compartmentalize Jesus and we say, I'm going to give Jesus this block of my life, and Jesus is like, I want to fill your life, and so I'm going, hey, I'm going to, Jesus, you can have this one square inch, and what this one square inch represents is my Sunday morning attendance, my community group attendance, and my five-minute devotional life in the morning. Now, here's the thing, if you're just starting out, and you're following Jesus, that's a great start. If you've been following Jesus for 15 years and you're like, just still, this is all you're showing up. This is all the space you have for Jesus. This is where the, the New Testament writers would say, we need to graduate beyond milk. We're no longer newborn babes. We need to grow up into Christ, into maturity. And so there's this aspect of going, you know what? Hey, this should be enough. This should be enough space. I got this one square inch that Jesus, you can come in and occupy. And he's going, there's not room for me. You're not ready for me. You're not prepared for me. I want to come in and I'm going to fill all aspects of your life. And you're only offering this inch. It's occupied by another. C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Now that should give us pause. When we read that sentence, we think, There's no neutral territory. There's no like, well, well, what about work? What about, you know, the family life? What about, you know, living life out in my neighborhood? What about school? What about friends? Like all of that is either claimed by God, either Jesus comes in and fills all aspects of these things, or it's given over to Satan, which Satan loves to tempt you into being busy and not being mindful of God. God. I met with someone in our church this last week and I loved it just because I love the acknowledgement of the presence of Jesus. They were like, I went to Starbucks the other day and I, you know, it, was, it wasn't a great day and I went, and I, I was gonna pay for my drink and I had a little bit of money left on a gift card. and You know what? It was the exact amount of the drink. And I just took a moment and said, thank you, Lord. Like, praise God that this, now you got, oh, that's just coincidence. Here's the deal. All good things come from the Father above. And so it's a moment just to pause and give thanks and acknowledge his goodness, his kindness. He wants to fill every aspect of our lives. So we see this. Paul prays for this in the church in Ephesus. He prays that they'd be filled with the fullness of God. He says this in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family on heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ might dwell in your hearts, not have like take up residence in the far off corners of your heart. He may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the thing. They didn't have space for Jesus. The Jews who said they believed, didn't have space. They had no room in their hearts. To accept the truth about Jesus meant that they were going to have to totally surrender and alter their lives, and they weren't willing to. It was, gonna, it was like total uh, destruction, earthquake, like everything that they had built their life on was going to have to crumble down, and they were going to have to rebuild, and they're going, no, can't I just add you on can't I and that's what we tend to do we take all of our life and all of our good measures and we're like life is about pursuing all these treasures and happiness and if I could just add Jesus on and Jesus is saying no that's all got to come down and you got to give him all of your heart all of your life in complete surrender he wants to fill us all not an aspect not just one corner not just one inch so we think we, we're just stepping into the Lent season. Now I know like we don't, as a church, like we're not following always the, the historic Christian calendar that, you know, but this is a season of Lent and, and Lent is a season that, that matches uh, the, the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness. So it began with Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and a time to think about uh, the fact that we're going to die. To, to deal with our mortality, to deal with the fact and, and, uh, that, you know, this life is brief. And it's to push us all the way to the end of Lent season where the resurrection and we focus on Jesus and we know that because of Jesus that we don't await a funeral, we await a marriage ceremony with the lamb and what good news that is. And, but this, this season of Lent, and the reason why it's typically been practiced, it's been a season of fasting. It's been a season uh, to, to clear away and to make room, and I love that, and it fits in, because I just go, we need some aspects of our life, like, there's an aspect of our lives, where we need to lean into the Lent season, and go, maybe there needs to be a clearing away, there needs to be a making room, and it not, it doesn't need to be, like, just simple, how, like, this is spring cleaning, like, remove it all, and ask him to refill, I love the pattern of limp because and I think it's super needed because there's a, a time where we need to be emptied so that we may be filled again. That we would fast from certain aspects of life so that we could be filled, that God could fill us. Are we making room? What does it look like for our lives to be too full, for our hearts to be too full, where his word finds no place in us? I think another rhythm, a weekly rhythm, is like the Sabbath rhythm, that Jesus called us to to step in, that the Lord called us to step in and practice a, a, a weekly day of Sabbath, of resting, of clearing out, to be reminded of what is true, to reflect on what is true. Do you have room in your hearts? I think about the Asbury revival. If you're totally here this morning, you're like, what? Asbury revival? There's a revival that has continued on... um uh, the campus of Asbury College, and Asbury's been known to, to be a place where revival has frequently happened, and again, this isn't something that's been manufactured. If you go back and look at the, I mean, the guy preached a lousy sermon. He said it himself. I'm not calling his sermon lousy. He's like, I preached a lousy sermon. He texted his wife, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm coming home. I'll be home shortly. It was, it was terrible, and revival breaks out, and and it's amazing, and it's continued. And and I just look at that, and I go, if if the Lord wanted to, and desired to, and were to come, and revival were to like it would to fall on this place, the manifest presence of Jesus comes down, we experience it. Would we even have room to participate? It's like I, I don't. I I I'm trying to think like very practically. I'm like, do these people not have jobs to go to? I'm serious. Like they're worshipping day in, day out and they're on like week 2, week 3 and I'm going how do they have space to do that? Somebody I saw somebody say like do people not have jobs? Like are they shuttling in food? How is this logistically? How is this happening? And at the end of the day I just I look at their posture and I go they got room for Jesus. And I think when we make room for Jesus there's space for freedom. When our life is filled to the max when things already occupy that space you're enslaved. The second thing he says. You don't have room in your heart. The second thing he tells them is. You don't have God as your father. You don't have God as your father. 38 through 42. It says. I speak of what I've seen with my father. And you do what you've heard from your father. So immediately he's like. Hey we got two Two different dads. We got two different fathers here. They answered him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them. If you were Abraham's children. You would be doing the works. Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who's told you the truth. That I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. So it's like. Abraham's not your dad. If Abraham was your dad. You would be doing what your dad did. And killing me is not what Abraham did so you're not of Abraham this is not what Abraham did you're doing the works your father did they said to him and this was meant to cut Jesus we were not born of sexual immorality now what's going on there well they're talking to Jesus they're they're questioning the idea and the reality of the virgin birth you're the one with two fathers You're the one who, that's up for debate. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You don't have God as your Father. Now, you may be here this morning, and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I know God is father, but I want you to take a pause for a moment and reflect and go, how often do we live as if God is not our father? And what would it truly look like? I mean, we see that behavior and characteristics and works stem from who is your father. He says, if Abraham were your dad, you'd be doing what Abraham did. And I'm just wondering for a second, if God were our father... If he was our father, how would that change our behavior, our life? How would we react differently? I would tell you, number one, you would have freedom. You would experience freedom. We don't experience freedom because we don't have any room in our hearts. And we don't have God as our father. We don't live as if God is our father. We're talking about the fatherhood of God here. And I understand that when we think about God as father, that paints an image of our earthly father, and sometimes that has been distorted. Many of us grew up and we had abusive dads, dads who've abandoned us, passive dads, unengaged dads, even my own fathering. I I go, how am I putting a stumbling block in front of my kids for them to see God as father? Because children's view of God will largely be dependent upon their view of you, dad. And so God comes to redeem that. And my job as an earthly father is to point people to the perfect father because he is a father that will never abandon, that will never leave, that will never stray, that will always provide, that will always care for, that will always love, that will always support. He'll never leave, never forsake. He keeps his promises. He's a father. And it's hard for many of us. How how do I get this image of a father? And I'll share with you my dad wasn't perfect by any means. Uh, We joke because Amber shared a testimony several weeks ago and we joke because she's like my dad is ordinary and we've we've laughed about that like and we are ordinary and my dad wasn't perfect and my dad I've had to give a lot of grace to my dad for upbringing and care and provision in my life and I think that's a really healthy practice to walk through of just walking through a place of forgiveness with your dad. But last week I was in Oregon with my sister and our family and uh, my sister pulled out pictures. And my dad has since passed away and said, hey, here's some pictures from our family and you should look through them. And so I'm combing through these pictures and so many of them are pictures of me two, three years old hanging out with my dad there was one, a picture I'm sitting on my dad's lap his arms are around me you look at our, our face there's joy on my face joy on his face there's smile there's laughter he's wearing a little kid's army helmet on his head. He's playful. And in that moment, I look at that picture and I go, that picture illustrates joy, protection, love, provision, warmth. And you know what was not in the picture? Not a care in the world. If, if I were to describe freedom, I look at two, three-year-old Justin sitting on his dad's lap and I go, man, there's freedom in knowing that your father is with you, loves you, cares for you, providing. You're not without that church. You have God as your father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. You're a child. He's your father. And I bet if we woke up tomorrow morning knowing God as father knowing his provision, his warmth. It's not fantasy. It's real. It's truth. You've been deceived to believe that his love for you is conditional. You've been deceived to believe that that you have to prove yourself to him to receive his affection. And none of that's true. God the Father has a love for you as one of his children there is provision, care, warmth, care. Wouldn't your life be radically different if you believed that? How would your life be altered if you truly woke up on Monday morning knowing God as Father? Whatever you're facing that day, knowing that your dad's with you. All chaos in life stems from a false belief in who God is and what he's doing. If you, I'll say that again. All chaos in life stems from a false belief in who God is and what he's doing. If you have one of our John journals and you're walking through it, the fourth page on every sermon in there has an apply section and every week, it asks the same four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? How do I live? And I'm assuming, I'm assuming that in your community groups, there's times and aspects where you're like, you know what? We'll move beyond these questions. It's just the same four questions, week in, week out. It's like... Come on, we got to broaden this out a little bit. Like, let's, let's push in a little deeper. There's more here. And I'm going, if all chaos in life stems from a false belief in who God is and what he's doing, then who God is, how we define God, what we think about God is the most important thing. Do you know him as father? Jesus had God as his father. He did what his dad did. He only did what his dad told him. Is God your father? Do you live as if God is your father? Third thing is this. You look in this passage, there's a breakdown. You don't don't have room in your heart. You don't have God as your father. And the last thing he's going to say, the reason why you're not experiencing freedom is you don't recognize that you've been enslaved by the father of lies. You don't recognize that you've been enslaved by the Father of Lives. What did the Jews say? We are not slaves to anyone. There's a lot of us here this morning, and I would I would guess that there's some of us who go, I'm not enslaved to anything. I'm free. And I think we've been deceived. And that's what Jesus tells them. You've been deceived into believing that you're free, but you haven't experienced the kind of freedom that I've come to bring. Jesus says in John 8:44 through 45, You are of your father. Who's their father? This is intense. The devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth. When he lies, he's speaking out of his own character. The only language the enemy knows how to speak is lies, deception, deceit. For he is a liar and he's a father of lies. Do you know that? Do you know that there's a deceiver in the world? Do you know that he is out to enslave you? Do you know that in John 10:10 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy? The enemy has one job in your life and he is vigilant to do it every single day, every single moment and it's to steal your life, it's to kill your life, it's to destroy your life and the truth is, is we willingly, we don't see the attack and we willingly step in and follow him and we look to him as if he's our father. Because it feeds so much of our fleshly desires and longings. We sin because we love it. And he's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. John Mark Comer says this in his book, Live No Lies. For Jesus, the devil is the archetype of a villain who is hell-bent on destruction. He just wants to watch the world burn. And his motto is this, tear it all down. Wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupt it. Unity, fragment it into a million pieces. Human flourishing, push it to anarchy or tyranny. Either will do. His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. Do you realize that you walk out every, like you wake up to a, a barrage of lies every single day. And maybe you do know it. Maybe you're haunted by that. And maybe you're one of those people this morning, they go, I, I know that to be true. I believe so many lies. I believe so, I'm so easily deceived. I'm so, and that doesn't mean that you're weak. It just goes to show he is crafty. The Bible def- defines him as crafty. He's sneaky. He is out to deceive you. His whole goal is to pull you away from your true father. To pull you out from a place of dependency. The Jews are walking around with a false sense of security, right? They think they're good. Well, where does that position them? That positions them outside of the love from the father. That positions them outside of relationship. There is no dependency. There is no uh, walk in relationship. They don't sense a need for that. And they've bought into the lie that they're good. Based on their withholding of the rules and laws and legalism that they walk in. So they've bought into the lies. And as a pastor... And as somebody who loves you and cares for you, I believe I have the responsibility and I believe our pastors, all of our pastors have the responsibility to teach and preach and counsel. We have the responsibility to reveal the lies that we have believed and remind us of the truth. And because often... We as followers of Jesus or pastors come and remind people of what is true. Because of that, we will be called unloving. We will be called narrow-minded. When in reality, we're trying to seek to point people to a life of freedom and a life of human flourishing and a life to living in the kingdom reality. It's real. The ways of Jesus are not suggestions. They're the way the world was designed and created to work. And I love this famous quote, like when you go against the grain of the world, you're going to get splinters. Okay? And the truth is, is like much of the chaos and experience is because we're not living in line with reality, we've bought into lies. We've bought into lies when it comes to our finances. We've bought into lies when it comes into relationships. We've bought into lies when it comes into sexuality. We've bought into lies when it comes to, to gender. We've, we've bought into lies in so many different aspects. And we look at it and we go, shouldn't we be tolerant? Shouldn't we be loving? And I go, it's loving to tell people the truth. And it's like, well, who am I to tell people what the Bible says? Well, it's like, who am I to tell someone that five plus five equals 10? You're like, you should tell people. I go, because it's truth. And it's true. What Jesus said, it is true. And we, we back off from it because we believe it's a suggestion or we believe that it's narrow-minded. And the Bible teaches us truth. And when you live In line with that truth, you experience freedom. The enemy wants to destroy that. The enemy wants to end all human flourishing. He wants to add chaos, not order. And so, when I think about the lies and the deceitfulness of the enemy the father of lies, who only speaks lies. I began to think of some of the lies that we can often believe. And I want to read through these because I think these may identify with some of us here this morning. For some, it's, it's the man in the room this morning, Who has constantly had to prove his worth. He had to prove his worth to his father. As a child. And now he's grown to believe that I'm only as good as I am successful. It's the woman in the room this morning who has grown anxious about her life. And has bought into the lie. If only I had fill in the blank, then I would truly be happy. It's the teenage girl in the room who is constantly comparing herself to others and the mirage of images on social media or YouTube and they come to believe I'm ugly and unworthy of love. It's the pastor who has worked feverishly believing the lie that he must be the savior of all things broken. It's the husband who fails to see the identity that God has given him and seeks to find an identity in his job, in his work, in his hobbies. It's the person who believes this morning, I must be perfect and good. And we need to be reminded that God knows all my sin and imperfections and still loves me. I'm truly known and fully loved. I'm loved for who I am, not because of how good I am, but solely because of Jesus. It's for the person this morning who believes, I can't be needy. You've bought into the lie of, it's not okay to be needy. But because of Jesus' grace, his grace is sufficient, I'm free to assume the posture of a child. Admit my neediness and walk in humility. It's for the person this morning who's bought into the lie that I must be impressive and look accomplished and successful. And we need to be reminded that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, not in my success, not in my accomplishments. He came for me when I was broken. For some of us who have bought into the lie that we're strong enough, that we don't need the assistance of others, we don't need the comfort of others. And we need to be reminded because of Jesus, I do not have to protect myself from being known. The gospel tells me that Jesus broke in and invaded my life. It's the person who lives With constant fear and anxiety and struggles to trust. And the truth of Jesus, Jesus comes and he subjected himself to the anxieties and dangers of our world, sin and death. So that we can be safe. It's the person in the room who believes I must be strong and in control. And we recognize I don't have to be strong and in control because Jesus is my strength and he is in control it's for the person in the room who has grown overwhelmed by the circumstances of life maybe you don't know how to continue on we need to be reminded of what is true that our ultimate peace is found in Christ not our circumstances there is not a soul in this room not one who is not living in, at some level, a bondage to lies. We're enslaved. We're not free. And we've grown comfortable with struggling. We've grown comfortable experiencing enslavement. We've chalked it up as this is the way life's just going to be. And Jesus tells us otherwise. Jesus says, the person he sets free can be free indeed. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's quote where he talks about, we are far too easily pleased. I'm, I'm concerned that we have grown far too easily satisfied with being enslaved. We don't even know what it means to be free. I'm praying in the next few moments as we worship and as we sing, as we take communion, that the bondage and lies that we've been enslaved by, Jesus would begin to set us free. Jesus wants to offer us so much more. Jesus was willing to fight for this. He was willing to die for this. He was willing to die for your freedom. He was willing to die to defeat your three greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death, to free you. You can be free this morning. You can be free if you'll allow yourself to make room for Him. If you'll come to Him and see Him as Father, as the one who can offer that freedom. And if you'll tell the enemy to get lost. We don't need his lies and be filled with truth. We can be free. Let's pray together. Father, you know what every person in this room, what they're combing over in their head, even right now, the lies that they've believed, the lies that they've believed. Lord, we want to make room for your truth. We want to make room. So would we even just right now just call out, commit, and say, I know know that to not be true. I know that is a lie. Would we receive the truth that you've come to offer us this morning? We may need somebody to speak the truth over us. That's why community is so important. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work and move in our midst right now, that we would make room for you to do your work in us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.